welcome. You're listening to a sermon podcast from Oak Hills Church in Folsom, California. If you'd stand for our scripture reading today, second week of Advent, a little bit longer. We have plenty of time. I actually did something in the first service. I think I've done one or two other times in the history of my standing in front of people and blabbing, and that is... I got through the first part of what I said, and then I just ditched the second part. So I'm doing the same thing, so we have plenty of time. John chapter 1, I'm going to read verses 1 through 18 here in the second week of Advent. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the father has made him known. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. We have a 90-pound English lab named Gus at home. I've talked about him many times to the irritation of some. He is the star of our canine fleet. He's big, he's handsome, he's lovable, and for the most part, he is well-trained. But we have a second dog as well. You don't hear much about her on purpose. Her name is Charlotte. She's a 13-pound Shih Tzu. She is 13 years old. Gus is more my dog. Charlotte tends toward, gravitates toward Julie much more. When we got Charlotte, she had a torn ACL in her back right leg, and we were told not to fix it, so we didn't. So Charlotte has been limping for all the time we've had her. She's been on injured reserve, you might say, for much of her life. Charlotte is small. She's only 13 pounds. She's vulnerable in this big world. So like many small dogs, she feels compelled to act like a very big dog. And I was trying to introduce you to Charlotte. I know years ago I showed a picture of her, I think, but I was trying to find something to introduce you to her. And I found a video from several months ago. She was bugging me about something I'll tell you about in a moment. You're going to hear me talking, which I wasn't talking. This wasn't like yesterday. This was months ago. I watched it, and I'm thinking, man, this is weird. I'm talking to a little dog. Like, 
we're having a conversation. So there's a little craziness in that. And if that concerns you about me, then that would be a good concern. But uh, I'm trying to get her to stop bothering me. And she's bothering me, a little bit of background, because when it's warm outside, Charlotte will go out in the morning, go to the door, paw at the door, slide the door open, close the door, and it could be 9 o'clock in the morning. And then at 7 o'clock at night, she comes back in. Like, she's carrying a lunch pail. She's going outside for the day. Whatever she does out there all day, she just sits in a chair or sits in the sun. Then at 7 o'clock, she comes back in. And what was happening, as you'll see in this video, is she wanted to go back out. And I was annoyed because I was sitting down. I didn't want to go back out. So let me introduce you to little Charlotte. You've been outside since 8 o'clock this morning. No, I'm not going back out there. No, you've been out there all day. You've been in that chair since 8 o'clock this morning, and now it's almost 7 o'clock tonight. You're pushing an 11-hour day out in that chair. Yeah, walk away. Read a book. Play cribbage. Do something. Not that. So she heads to the door and starts pawing at it. She wants to go outside again. Gives you a little bit of sense of who she is. I'm worried about myself sitting there talking to this dog, like she's somehow responding to me. But you can see how small Charlotte is. Small compared to a 90-pound brother named Gus. He sort of strolled by in that video. Small compared to me. Small compared to Julie. Small compared to everything. And once in a while... To try and see things from her perspective, I get down on the floor. And dogs are like kids. Get on the floor, and they come nearby. So every once in a while, I've done this maybe two or three times, I'll lay down next to her on the floor, and I'll get my head right over to where her head is so that when I'm looking up, I'm seeing exactly what she's seeing as she looks up. I see the surroundings, in other words, from her perspective. And everything is incredibly big. Gus looks like a prehistoric monster from Charlotte's perspective. Pans in the kitchen sound like bombs going off when they clang into each other. The ice machine sounds like a machine gun. It's a different world down there through little Charlotte's eyes and perspective. The Apostle John tells us in the verses I read a moment ago, the word Jesus became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Theologians call this the incarnation, the infleshing of God. In the book of Ephesians or Philippians, Paul says, Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be retained. So he came to earth and he put skin on. He put on human flesh and he lived among us, or if you will, he got down on the floor with us. And he looked at the world from our perspective. He put his head alongside ours, put his feet in something like shoes, and he looked around and said, this is what it's like to be a human being in this big broken world. He saw the world and he felt the world from our vantage point, the incarnation. This is what it is, the big majestic, all-powerful God got down on the floor with us. And this is the heart of the Advent story, and this is the heart of 
Christmas. We're in week two of our series. We're calling it Behold the Beauty. And what we're doing in this series is we're trying to step back from all of the turmoil of this world, the chaos that often goes along with this Christmas and Advent season, the uncertainty of the future, and stepping back from the complexity of life in this hard world to simply once again slow ourselves down and behold the beauty of Advent and let it wash over us. And today the I word we're focused on is identification. One of the reasons God got down on the floor with us is to identify with us and with what it is like to be human in this big and broken world. As the Apostle John puts it, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. The God who created all things came to live among us. He came as a vulnerable baby, a little one, to identify with the human condition, to go all the way up the line through His years and feel what it feels like to be a human being. He started as a vulnerable baby to identify what's it like to walk this planet all the way up. He came as a vulnerable baby to identify with our condition, to see this broken world and feel this broken world from our perspective. The Son of God, as the Bible often refers to him, becomes the Son of Man, as the Bible also refers to him. The fully divine one, the word, as the apostle John calls it, becomes the fully human one, enfleshed and living among us. The typical religions of the world, in most of them, the trick is for people to figure out how to get to God and how to please or appease God. In the Christian faith, the trick is that God has come to the world. He's come to us, and he's lived among us. And I would suggest one main reason why God chose to come and identify with us. He did so to reveal to us who God actually and really is. Last week, we talked about God's big plan to rescue and heal the world, a plan he launched way back at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 3. And in the verses we just read from John, John is purposefully using familiar language to spark in people's minds the gravity of what is happening in the Advent story and to spark their memory of what's going on all the way back in the book of Genesis. The opening words of our Bible, the first phrase, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The opening words of John's gospel, I read them a moment ago, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. John says the word, Jesus, was there right at the beginning when all the heavens and the earth were created. He was there when the sun, moon, stars, animals, and plants plants were spoken, word, into existence. He was there when man and woman were created 
in God's image and after God's likeness. And when we read what's going on in places like Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, it gets us thinking about God from a distance. It gets us knowing God, we might say, from a distance. And there are certain things we can say about God based on what we're seeing about him, from him from a distance. So in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, we can certainly say God is powerful. He speaks, and things that a moment ago didn't exist now exist. He's creative. He came up with this whole deal, sun, moon, stars, plants, animals, people. He is transcendent. I mean, he is big. He's bigger than big. He's the biggest. He's overall. He's greater than all. He's huge. Nothing and no one compares to him. And we can know things about him based on what's going on in places like Genesis 1 and 2. But this is the same God John is talking about in chapter 1 and verse 14. The word now became flesh. And he made his dwelling among us. And then John says this extraordinary thing. We have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. We have seen his glory in the person of Jesus. The God who was there in the beginning. When the world was spoken into existence. Is the word who puts on human flesh and enters the world he created as a vulnerable baby. The one who spoke and the sun, moon, stars, animals, and plants came into existence is the one who comes in the flesh at Advent. The one who created human beings in his own image and after his own likeness is the one who comes in the flesh perfectly bearing the image and likeness. Of God. I mean, this is good news, my friends, and it is good news that is almost too good to be true. And the connection with redemption history, the connection that starts to be made when we realize these folks in the Bible are not just spitting things out that happen to be on their mind at any given time, but there is some kind of big living being who's over this whole ordeal and is superintending the process one glorious redemptive step at a time. When that starts to sink in, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning the word was God and he was with God. In the beginning and nothing was made unless it was made through him. That connection, you step back a little bit, and it's a little bit scary because you realize there's something big unfolding and we happen to be a part of it. The big story of God right on the first pages of the Bible continues in the advent of Jesus Christ. And while we know some things about God from a distance, from places like Genesis 1 and 2, now in his coming and putting on human flesh, Jesus more fully reveals who God is. Jesus gets down on the floor with us so we can see him up close. We can actually touch him in a certain way. We can crawl on him 
as children like to do when a big person gets on the floor. John chapter 1 and verse 18. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. Colossians 1 verse 15. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Hebrews 1 and verse 3. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Think about that. This one we celebrate at Advent, according to the Bible, is the exact representation of God. So you want to know who God is? You want to know what God is like? The Bible says, take a close look at Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus Because in fixing your eyes on Jesus, you are learning what God is like. Learn from Jesus because he is the exact representation of God. One of the biggest barriers in our spiritual journey are the distorted images and faulty assumptions about God that have been etched into our minds and hearts through the words, actions, and silence of the influential people who have been shaping us since the day we were born and might continue to shape us long after they are dead. And most people, and I use the term most carefully, but purposefully, most people carry around distorted images of God and faulty assumptions about him that were installed in us by influential people in our early years. My first grade teacher's name was Miss King. Such a fitting name for such an imposing presence. She was an imposing woman. She scared the daylights out of me. Her classroom reeked like a porridge of pledge mixed with Mr. Clean. It just was in the air. You walked in there and almost gagged. It just felt just... I can smell it to this day. My goal in first grade was to survive and advance to second grade. And to this day, there are visuals and attributes of Miss King tattooed on my inner being. And they occasionally surface when I hear the word or when I think of God. And this is a barrier. And you've got your own version. When you hear the word God, when you think of God, it is probable some image, some idea, some assumption comes to mind. And that image, idea, or assumption was put there by the influence of an authority figure early in your life. A.W. Tozier wrote, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So when you hear the word God, what comes to mind? Whatever the answer is, it shapes you. If we think God is mean or mad, then it is unlikely we will want much to do with him. If we think God is disinterested in us, then it is unlikely we will want much to do with him. If we think God is preoccupied with the really important stuff over here, 
then we will probably try to avoid him. If we think God is a bad guy who just loves to make people miserable, then we are not going to want a relationship with him. If we think God is a harmless, toothless grandfather in a rocking chair, then we'll check in with him once in a while, but he won't have much to do with our everyday lives. If we think God's primary purpose is to condemn people to hell and keep them from experiencing his goodness, then we'll do our best to toe the line and hope he doesn't notice when we don't. And for most of us, our parents are the first ones to imprint these images of God into us. The way our parents are or were often shapes our image of God. So Tozier is certainly onto something, but C.S. Lewis is onto something even better, I think, when he writes, I read in a periodical the other day that the fundamental thing is how we think of God. By God himself, it is not, Lewis says. How God thinks of us is not only more important, but infinitely more important. I'm not sure these two ideas can be pulled apart quite so easily, but Lewis is correct. How God thinks of us, how God thinks of you, is more important than how we or you think of him. And here again is where we stand back and behold the beauty of Advent. Because in the coming of Jesus, we see from a front row seat exactly how God thinks of us. He thinks of us so much, he takes the initiative to come and rescue us. The beauty of Advent is the extraordinary and lavish love God has for us as shown by his willingness to take the initiative and come to us. He takes the initiative and comes to you. He takes the initiative to show us who God actually is. He takes the initiative to rescue us from our sins and shame and lostness. He takes the initiative to speak into the deep hurts we have within us that make us wonder if we matter. He takes the initiative to tell you that you matter. He puts on human flesh And lives among us. He gets down on the floor with us. All because of his extraordinary and lavish love for us. My brother's a few years older than me. And he recently sent Julie and I a video of him and his grandson, Jack. And it makes the point better than I can say it. There is one more thing. Um, You were the most... That's you. That's you. So my brother is six foot four. Jack is maybe three foot four. That's incarnation. The big guy. Getting down on the floor with the little guy. The big guy. 
identifying with the little guy. The big guy realizing there's a barrier here. I'm six foot four. He's three foot four. I can go wherever I want. He stumbles and bumps into things along the way. I can communicate. He just does blah, blah, blah kind of stuff. There's a barrier. But the big guy removes the barrier by getting down on the floor and relating to the little guy. But the real question is, is what does it say to the little guy when the big guy gets on the floor? What does it communicate to Jack when my brother Jeff lowers himself down and sprawls out on the floor? Well, you could see it. Among other things, it says to Jack, hey, I care about you. That's why I'm down here with you. And the other thing it says to Jack is, I want to be with you. So as Jack looks up through his little eyes and sees this big six foot four prehistoric monster walking around, and then that six foot four prehistoric monster lowers himself down to the ground, what Jack knows of my brother goes from this to, wow, he's down here with me. I can touch him. I can crawl on top of him. I can stick my butt right in his face and get that close to him. And it says to little Jack, this big guy cares about me. It says to little Jack, he got down on the floor with me. He must really want to be with me. Extraordinary and lavish love. Incarnation. He cares. He wants to be with us. And he wants us to know who he is. The beauty of Advent. Jesus comes. He identifies with us. He shows us who this big God is. And then he walks with us every step of our lives. Well, we have come to the point in our service where it is absolutely fitting that we come to this communion table and celebrate this big God who has gotten down on the floor with us. This big God who wants us to know the depth of his love. So he sent his son, dressed him in skin, and had him live in our shoes for 33 years. We have a chance to come and celebrate and remember and receive this good, loving God who has come to us. So we practice open communion here, which means if you are a follower, you're welcome to come to the table.